Psalm 139, verses 7 to 11. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light becomes night around me. And uh, from the book of Jonah, uh, the first chapter, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And from the New Testament, uh, from the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 22 to 31. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. 
So, you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. How great to be here. Um... And there were three readings, uh, three gorgeous, beautiful readings. Uh, one of them is a really emotional statement of that God is omnipresent. Where can I go to flee from your presence? The second is a comic slash serious interaction of a guy who has a momentary lapse of reason. I mean, he knows the Hebrew God, but he thinks he can flee from him. You know, there's something not wired properly for him in that moment. And we'll come to that in a few moments' time. And the third one is the Apostle Paul interacting with a polytheistic world, saying to him, there is one God and he's present in every moment. So I hope that sort of puts a thread through those readings. Uh, This message, there's going to be a whole stack of passages of Scripture, and I'll go through them fairly quickly. I'll name them. It is a sort of talk, a bit like last week, where you could write the references down if you wanted to pursue these uh, texts later, or you could email me and I'll give you a copy of the talk, such as my notes are. Might be good. Hey, really excited about uh, March the 14th. That's a Saturday, as Paul said, and that means a sacrifice, really, on your part. Uh, but I think it, everyone really needs to, I think, well, I think it'd be great to be a part of it. Uh, you, you live in a world that, that your parents didn't grow up in. It's true for everybody, by the way. <laughs> and uh, you live in a world, if, if the Lord forgive you children, that your children won't grow up in. I don't know what the world will be like in the future, uh, but it seems to me that the world has always been changing fast, and it is changing fast. I feel it's changed, and I think John is uniquely placed to help guide us through uh, what it means to share faith in a post-Christian world. We, we have to be on mission, and we've resourced it by freeing up Paul. Thank you, Paul, uh, for this particular spearheading task of leading us in mission to the city. We've got John uh, resourced for 20, 20 days. Um, and what a, by the way, if you can think of any creative ways to use John, we'd love to hear that. Paul wants to hear you. He wants to hear from you. So that's uh, March 14, as, as Paul said a moment ago. Mark it. Let the office know uh, so that we can get as many eggs and bacon for you as we need. Malcolm, just put yourself down for three, and you're going to have three bacon and egg rolls. That's a little bit funny. <laughs> Shall I pray? 
Let's pray. Father, you have the power to do all things, even the so-called impossible things. You have complete insight. You know, you see all things. You see inside the human heart. You know our desires and our motivations. You are present in all places, all moments, and in every situation, and fully present. And so, Father, we pray that you'd lay bare the mountains of our society, our world, upon us with the rocks of our hearts, show us wisdom, bring to light hidden things, do the thing that you do, that you promise to do, to be a light in a dark place. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen? Amen. There's a place, a famous spot in the United States, it's in the middle of the desert, we went there as a family two years ago. You drive off the main road and uh, you hand over 25 US dollars, which I think is about 100 Australian dollars. <laughs> and yet, not yet, but you enter this area that has only one value, as far as I can tell. It's got this brass disc, this geological marker, the only one in the United States where four states converge Utah. Colorado, Arizona, and New Mexico. Who's been there? Oh, thank you. You pay your money, and uh, we paid. Uh, there's a photo to prove it on page 11 of your zines. That's uh, eight of the 12 feet that belong to our family. I took the photo. Uh, we had to pay, really. Uh, it had to be done. We needed the photo, uh, partly for memories and for fun. It was quite a long way off the main road. Uh, but I think, in hindsight, it was a reminder, really, of how finite I am in the body. You know, why do people line up to take that photograph? And I think, in part, it's because all of us know deep down that we can never be, never be, in more than one place at any one time. You can't be in two places at once. But there on that cross, it sort of feels like, you're in four places at once. And those of you who've straddled the equator, time zones, you feel the same way. Today we're looking at the third omni, that God is omnipresent. That is, he's present, fully present. I love that, by the way, not half present. You know, how many times do you find yourself half present? Or that the person you're talking to is half present? God fully present. In all places... At, at all, all the time, which means he's here now. We believe this by faith, not by sight, not by what we see, hear, taste, touch, or smell, although he does speak to people audibly sometimes. He's here now. I can be in four states in one moment, but that's about as far as I get. God is in each point, at each moment, in every place, and at all times, fully present, omnipresent. Now, this could be theologically liberating, and I want to make that case at the end of this message. But it could also be theologically confounding or even theologically troubling, especially if you're suffering or you know somebody who has or is. Maybe it's all three, liberating, confounding, and troubling. We are mining for wisdom in 2020, and since wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, we thought we might begin the year in this space, the fear of the Lord, 
and we said we've got to come up against God, we've got to meet him in order to have an appropriate fear of him. Remember, fear is not negative. Remember my neighbor? Not negative, but rather positive. It's a door to wisdom. The sum of the teacher's teaching, indeed, a definition. Fear of the Lord is the definition of being wise uh, in, in the Bible. And we've been saying this during the series. You've got to look at me for this part. Thank you. See, I know which heads went up. We live in this space. Do you remember this? <laughs> uh, we live knowing that God is above you. He made you. He owns you. Uh, he'll judge you. He sees you. Now fear him, right? And yet at the same time, we believe that God is below you. He loves you, upholds you by his powerful right hand. As the psalmist said a moment ago, he'll save you. He'll shower you with his grace. Be afraid. Be not afraid. That's the riddle of Scripture. Be afraid. Be not afraid. And it's in this space that you live a wise life. Not wise if you think God is only above you, you'll run from Him in fear. It's not wise if you think God is just below you, that He is your plaything to make you feel better, a cat on your lap rather than a lion uh, who roars ferociously. Be afraid, be not afraid. And uh, C.S. Lewis had this right about Aslan, the Christ lion. Uh, Hush said the other four, for now Aslan had stopped and turned and stood facing them, looking so majestic that the four felt as. Glad as anyone can who feels afraid, and as afraid as anyone can who feels glad. They find the perfect spot to live before a holy God. So we're exploring the three omnis, attributes of God, and how they lead, the fear, how they lead to a healthy fear of God, and some implications for a wise life. Two weeks ago, he is omnipotent, God all-powerful. Last week, omniscient, he's all-knowing, he knows all the science. And this week, omnipresence, he's all present. And the aim of the series is to begin or to continue to cultivate a healthy fear of the Lord in our hearts. So four points today, and you'll notice the typo on page 11. Number one, God is uh, omnipresent, and we aren't, secondly. Thirdly, therefore, we will be frustrated in life, and you know we are. We are but dust. I'll explain that in a moment with some examples. But in Christ, we will live before, in this space, we'll live knowing him. Firstly, he's omnipresent. There is nowhere where God isn't. He's here. That means he's in the halls of parliament, including behind every closed door where each murky decision is made. It means that he is in those very dark corners of uh, the world where Christians go looking for God and liberating people uh, who are in, for example, slavery. He's there. And that's troubling news, might be. This is the problem of evil, of course. We'll map this out probably during the year. But it's good news if he's good. And if he's got an ultimate good in mind. And he is good and he has an ultimate good in mind. And so we trust him and wait for him. It's hard, of course, if you're suffering. Now, it begs the question, where is he? And half of the Bible is faithful people asking that question, like the psalmists, like Job, like the prophets. Charles Spurgeon, reflecting on this, by the way, and you can guarantee this is not a meme dumped on a poster and sold for five bucks, Kurong. You can guarantee that uh, Charles Spurgeon worked this out through suffering. 
He says, God is too... There was no bag on Kurong there, just for the record. Just for the record. The book's Kurong. Charles Spurgeon. God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, hard to do in suffering, but when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. That's why the psalmists can say, and the psalmist in particular in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He is omnipresent. These are rhetorical questions. The answer is nowhere. So he says in verse 8, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, I love the poetry, if I settle on the far side of the sea, how far have you come to be here today? Have you traveled from the Antipodes? If I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. It's a lovely song you introduced last year, Andy. There are options for those who think they can hide. And that is to do things behind closed doors where you believe things will be done in secret. And I love how the last five years, maybe ten, maybe longer, we've been asking as a society how we can make things that used to be in the dark bring them out into the light, um, including dark matters that the church has been involved with. People do try to hide things that should be brought out into the open. The psalmist says in uh, verse 11, it was read out a moment ago, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light will become night around me. I'll get away with it, right? Even the darkness will not be dark to you, O God. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. It's why Jesus said, I am the light of the world. It's why John said at the beginning of his gospel, this is the verdict, light has come into the world in Jesus, but people love the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. They didn't want the evil deeds to be exposed. Everyone who does evil hates the light. They run from Jesus. They will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what has been done has been done in the sight of God. I love how media and, and uh, politicians and, and various organisations, government and otherwise, uh, bring to light things that are hidden and that should be brought to light. But a Christian has always believed that ultimately God will do this in a complete way. And that's because Proverbs 15 verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil, oh yes, and watching the good, which means he saw you when you visited that person in need and no one else noticed. To those who think they can do whatever they want, whatever the hell they want, whenever the hell they want to. Jeremiah 23, verse 23, Am I a God nearby? You think I'm your, just your mate, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? He is omnipresent. We've all been thinking about the actions of evil men this week, and in particular that gobsmacking, Impossible to understand evil in Queensland, domestic violence. Job 34 verse 21, his eyes are on the ways of men. He sees their every step. There is no deep shadow to him, no utter darkness to him where evildoers can hide, all brought into judgment, says Job. 
To say that God is omnipresent is not to say that he's playing cosmic twister, like he's just a human being stretched thin and therefore struggling. (laughs) I love the settledness in John chapter 4 when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well. Uh, She's drawing uh, water at the middle of the day. There's some shame in that. She's been married four times. We don't know, five times. We don't know why the man she's living with is not her husband. Jesus is right through it all. There's an omniscience there in that moment, a reflection of the omniscience of God. He says, I'll give you water to live. He treats her with respect. I'll give you living water to drink and you'll never be thirsty. Uh, She feels exposed. Uh, She tries to deflect the situation by saying, tell me where is the locale where God is to be found? Samaritans say here, Jews say there. And Jesus says the time is coming when we'll understand uh, that God is spirit and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and truth. There's something beautiful and settled and powerful in his character that leads to rest. I'll get to that in a few moments' time. We say as Christians that God is omnipresent in two ways. He is imminent, close, nearby, in us. Am I only a God nearby? I am, declares the Lord. In him we live and move and have our being, Paul said in Acts 17. In him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. He is an intimate God, and yet God is distinct from the creation. He fills, and not also a God far away. Uh, Theologians call this transcendence. He's imminent and transcendent, uh, fully present but not part of his creation, far above it, over it, fear God. And that's why Paul says in Acts 17, in him we live and move and have our being, but also the God who made heaven and earth and everything in it does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives life and breath and everything else. And that means you can't hide. He is in it and above it. It also means that God is present in the sadness He's close to the black dog. Not always easy to believe. Go to see a GP, don't get me wrong. He's imminent. We aren't omnipresent, secondly. We're not and we know it. We are stretched thin. Yet there's something about human desire... We get above ourselves. You know, we can only live in one place at one in any one moment, we journey through life and we die. It's a truth. We can't escape it. We are but dust. But the case could be made that there's something about human desire that says we want to be stretched over more, to want more, to be in more places at once. And at the very best, we're wanting to be like God, tilling the garden and in whose image we're made. But more likely, uh, we want to usurp God like despots, like kings do, whose image we covet, his image. And the example of this is kings and despots. Uh, they need to be omnipresent in their countries to control the masses. While they make statues for people to see, they extend their presence by armies they control, propaganda they, they order and approve of. Why they need secret, pol- secret police and an army of informants who themselves are afraid. It's an evil, and God will judge kings and despots. 
Now, you and I, we're not despots and we're not kings, except kings of our own backyard, maybe a little... I assume none of you are despots. Please tell me if you are. I once had breakfast with Colonel Rambuka of Fiji. It's the closest I've got. But we want to be in more places than we are. and We stretch ourselves thin. Why do we do that? Being more present in more situations. You know, you could say it's a desire to be more helpful or more it's possible. But we want to sort of be in more places at more times. And we blur calendar distinctions, not leaving margins. Adding more in. I know this. I feel this. I don't always rest in the presence of God, but I think I can be present in the lives of more people, especially as a pastor. And those of you who are pastors know this is true. You sort of think, you lie in bed and I'm thinking, I should remember that situation of this incredible person here who's braving a situation I didn't remember when I saw them and I should know this and I should be praying about that. But there's even, and some of you might say, well, that's sort of pastors, what pastors do, but there's, and there's a sense in which you can't rest because you're always thinking that you need to be present in every moment and you who are at work or CEOs or you're in control of a department or a project know that people have expectations on you and you, it's frustrating and hard. And human technology only exacerbates it uh, because human technology in the last 20 or 30 years has real, some real echoes of omnipres omnipresence. Like, you can now be in another place. <laughs> I can be in London and Dubai and Hong Kong for a meeting with four separate departments. All I need is the, the correct time and, you know, a functioning internet hookup. You know, I might be three in the morning, so we feel the dustness of our life in that moment. But it's incredible through FaceTime, Messenger, WhatsApp. The internet means that there's nowhere I can't be if I don't want to be, at least with ones and zeros. A face, if not a body. Even the speed of travel over the last hundred years gets us closer to feeling omnipresent there was a time when it took six months to get to the UK. Your parents, uh, or maybe your grandparents, will remember that it took six weeks routinely. You didn't catch a plane, you got on a boat. There were times when the Prime Minister of Australia would say, I'm off to London to visit the Queen and we'll be back six months later. Hello? <laughs> you know, where are you, Prime Minister? I'm visiting the Queen for six months. You see, there wasn't an expectation that they should be omnipresent. But it feels more and more with technology, with human technology, that we'd like to be. But we aren't. Therefore, thirdly, we live frustrated lives. It's part of what it means to be human. We are but dust. We're dust, finite. <laughs> and therefore, life is frustrating. There's things we want to do we can't do. Things we want to do we shouldn't do. And it kills us. There's this sort of promise held by technology that I can be wherever I want to be, but it betrays the truth that I am finite, stretching myself thin. In the end, I'm just a thoroughly stretched human, a thoroughly stretched dust, stretching the patience of those around me, maybe even those I love. And in the Bible, there's plenty of examples of people uh, who stretch themselves thin trying, trying to understand or, or know more or be more present and they have their plans frustrated. Sometimes it's about sin not listed here on my three J's, didn't fit my J theme. 
Sometimes it's about sin. I'll give an example. God was watching King David as he abused Bathsheba. Was it rape? Probably. He thought he could hide it in a dark room or by some ritual cleansing beforehand. God God won't notice. Murdered her husband and lied to her. He thought it was a secret until Nathan came to tell him a story about a man that David said should die. Classic judgmentalism. Nathan says, you are that man. David is dust who sins and he needs to repent. God is omnipresent. He saw it. Sometimes it's about stubbornness, not just classic sin, willfulness like Jonah. Jonah's famous, read to us a moment ago. He famously tries to flee God and spectacularly fails. Wastes his money as well. God says to Jonah, go and tell people you hate uh, some news, but we find out in chapter 4 that Jonah knows the deal. He knows that if he goes and speaks to them, they'll show a whiff of repentance, and God's the kind of God that'll repent of his judgment and shower them with his mercy, and he doesn't want that. So chapter 1, verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord, as if that's possible, and he headed for Tarshish in Spain. Who knew that Europe was a place to run to if you're trying to find yourself and run away from God? So he went down to Joppa, and after paying the fare, he heads east. He went aboard and headed east for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. It was a spectacular failure and a waste of money. God went with him to Europe. God always goes to Europe with you because he is omnipresent. Verse 4, the Lord was there when he sent a great wind on the sea. And the uh, sailors feared God. Didn't know the love of God. They feared God. God was even there at the bottom of the ocean when the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah and then to spit him out east. Go on then. (laughs) God was there in the belly of the whale. Fish, belly of the fish. Sometimes it's about suffering. Job is a fascinating study. I'm reading Job at the moment because I'm doing the machine. Read the Bible in a year. And you know, I'm adulting, and uh, I'm actually a couple of days ahead. Very, very rare. And I'm thinking, actually, and, and Emma and I have been chatting about it. I'm going to flag it right now, if you don't mind. I'm thinking maybe of introducing this machine reading on top of a year with Jesus, which, by the way, has got resources going back four years. But we're thinking about making machine a potential reading for some of you in 2021. Just flag that. Might be something worth doing a little bit later. But I'm up to Job. So fascinating when it comes to interacting with God in suffering. Um, It's like God's omnipresence and his omnipotence should have stopped the horrible thing. And I know some of you are thinking, why doesn't God stop a man from dousing his family with petrol and, uh, and, and sending them a light? If you're looking for an answer to that question, Job, the book of Job won't answer that question, but it will, the book will help you process suffering you experience and point you higher. You can't always trace his hand, but you can trust his heart. And Job has this fascinating thing, and this is the new thing for, for some of you. God wants Job, Job wants God to, at the same time, withdraw his hand 
What is mankind that you make so much of them that you give them so much attention, Job 7 verse 7, that you examine them every morning, that you test them at every moment? Will you never look away from me? Will you never let me alone, even for, for an instant? God, take your hand from me. Your omnipresence is killing me. And yet at the same time, Job wants God to show up <laughs> with a, a joyful hand. Even now, Job 23 verse 1, even now my complaint is bitter his hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him, not just his hand. If only I knew where I could go to find his dwelling. If only I knew the way to God. I would state my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I'll come to the implication for prayer in a moment's time. But Jesus is Job's answer for God showing up. God showed up in a storm at the end of the book of Job but he shows up in the person of Jesus Christ for us. The truth is, this might be new too, God is present always in every moment, and yet to communicate the gospel to us, to touch our hearts, he is especially present in some circumstances. Always present, especially present. The one who fills heaven and earth asks for his people to build a temple, a point on earth in which to approach him. His presence in all nations always was, and yet Israel can say he is with us. Even the risen Jesus who fills everything in every way, Ephesians 1, yet where two or three are gathered together, there I am with them. There is nowhere where God isn't, and yet he can be present in a special way. Jesus is God's presence on earth in a special way. His spirit is present with us now in a special way. The Word became flesh then. The Spirit comes to us now. God subjected Himself to the body, to flesh, to dust. The infinite became finite. The omnipresent grew in knowledge. As a boy became a man, the ground of all being was found as the stuff of ground, the dust of the earth. And Jesus trusts His Father even in the moment when He felt that God wasn't present because of bearing the sin of many. He said, Eloi, Eloi, laba sabachthani, like Job, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt the limitations of the flesh. He had a couple of friends, found it hard to add more. He was hungry, needing to eat. The death he died once in time. He hated it, but he did it for me. He was dying my death so that in his resurrection I might experience the divine. To come to the light and to know God even as I am fully known. Point number four, listed as three in your outline, some implications. Therefore, in Christ, we will live. It means a number of things. Number one, it means you can rest again in Christ, drawing boundaries with others. You are not omnipotent, and you shouldn't try to be. We don't have to be in every place at every time. We are finite and ought to inhabit our finiteness like a lovely garment uh, that's comfortable to wear. Own it, your dustness, waiting for a resurrection of the body. It means that we can say no and draw boundaries and rest and get good sleep if you can with confidence. Feel free to disappoint people who are acting towards you as though you should be omnipresent in their lives. And do that with wisdom, of course, and tact. But we can rest, drawing boundaries with others. We can also wrestle, like Job, in prayer. Surely if God is omnipresent, you can speak, knowing he's with you in the room. And you can confidently pray, 
like Job or Jacob before him who wrestled with God in a particular moment. Pray like the psalmists with honesty and integrity. Complain like the prophets. Question God like Job, like Job, by the way, uh, which is known that there's a God above you, not like Israel in the desert grumbling, which is like he should have done the thing I wanted. No, no, you're in this space, remember? They pray, the prophets, the psalmists, Job, as though God is both above them and under them, lifting them up by his powerful hand. They feared God. In the end, they believed, uh, Ephesians 3 verse 12, in Christ and through faith in Christ, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Rest, wrestle, thirdly, be afraid. Be appropriately afraid and in your fear decide to repent. God is above you. He really is. And he's present in every moment, which means he sees the lie. He knows the sins, loves us, by the way, above and below. He knows that adultery uh, that you committed, that you didn't feel that you could say, but it was in the past, but he knows. Uh, or the porneia, uh, to use a Greek word, which is the sort of catch-all for, for sexual sin. But he also knows the greed. You could quantify it if it could be weighed, if it can be weighed. Or the anger uh, that resides in your heart that makes you want to smash something. He knows it. It's time to do something about it. He knows the pain that you've caused. We've all caused. These things were not done in a... Here's the key. They were not done in a secret because there's no such thing as a secret. You hear that? They were not done in a secret because there's no such thing as a secret. There is if there is no God. There is no such thing as a secret if there is an omnipresent and omniscient God, which is why we pray, Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, cleanse our hearts. But we do that as followers of Jesus, knowing that God is good. This space, be comforted, draw intimacy with him. He loves you, he's under you. He sent Christ to die for you. He upholds you with his right hand. He is close. He is here with you in the suffering. We'll bring you to the other side because of his resurrection. With you in the sin. And we'll bring you to restoration through forgiveness. He knows what you're experiencing with that addiction or with that thing in your heart that you feel like you can't control. But he is with you still. He is with you still. Above you and under you. And in this space... You can begin to live a wise life. Let's pray. I pray a prayer that's a hymn from Isaac Watts. It's on the front of your zine if you want to follow it. It goes like this Within God, within thy circling power, I stand. On every side, I find. Thy hand, awake, yes, asleep, at home, abroad, I am surrounded still with God. Father, you're close to us now and you love us. Be near us, we pray. Show us your love and mercy. 
We pray that we might fear him who made heaven and earth, but in such a way that we embrace Christ and his death on the cross. May we know your love. And we pray this, Father, in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.